Welcome to another episode of Crazy Fitness Guys Healthy Living Podcast. I'm my friend, uh, Wendy, uh, and she is a certified resilience coach and as a, and she's a, also, uh, she, uh, she was also, uh, had to get a lung transplant where, uh, she had only, uh, the doctors only gave her two years to live, but she's still living now. Uh, show the, show the doctors who's boss. Uh, like I said, <laughs> in many of my podcasts, uh, doctors don't always know everything. Um, yeah. Uh, and to anybody who's listening, who's a doctor, I'm not bashing you guys. I, I totally, uh, uh, I'm lost for words, but anyway, uh, but I, I believe that you guys do know, you guys do know a lot, but you just don't have the magical crystal ball like we all wish you guys did. Uh, <laughs> Because that was nice make, <laughs> we need the magic crystal ball. Woohoo! Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so uh, I'll welcome Wendy to Crazy Fitness Guys Healthy Living Podcast. Thanks, Jimmy. It's great to be on. And yeah, thank you for inviting me. So uh, how long ago did the doctors say this to you that you only had two li- years to live? Uh, well, it was, it's actually a good question because um, it, it was a bit of a journey. Uh, so probably about 18 years ago is when it actually happened. And I was uh, trying to lose some weight at the time and I was trying to get fit and I was, um, you know, walking the streets and losing weight. I think I lost about 10 kilos at the time. And I just didn't feel good. I felt worse and I was getting really puffed and I didn't understand why because I thought it would be the opposite. Uh, So I ended up uh, after uh, a couple of incidences, um, one including fainting in a car park after walking up some uh, ramp up to where my car was. I thought, oh, this is not normal, so I better go and check with the doctor. Uh, So thankfully I had a good doctor and she fast-tracked me through a bunch of specialists and a few uh, weeks later I was at one of the big hospitals here in Melbourne and they said, uh, yeah, you have primary pulmonary hypertension and you've got two years to live. So that was um, a big shock. (laughs) My husband and I burst into tears at that point and then they told us, um, you know, I wouldn't be able to have children because of that and the life expectancy at the time was about five years. It's now seven years post-lung transplant. So they tried a whole bunch of different things before they put me on the transplant list. So uh, quite a few different drugs from uh, America, Canada, uh, to see if those would work, um, trial drugs. But unfortunately, yeah, it wasn't to be. And um, after a couple of years of that, they put me on the waiting list. And then I had to cross my fingers and hope to get a lung transplant. How long did it take? Uh, how long did it take for you, uh, you to get a transplant? Well, I ended up once I was on the list. Uh, it takes about three days for them to do all the assessments, and then on the list, I was probably on there for about twenty-two months. So, given they told me I had only two years to live, <laughs> twenty-two months uh, plus all those trial drugs was getting 
you know, a bit nervous that you know maybe I wouldn't wouldn't get there. And they told me that the uh, disease that I had, the lung disease, it was one of those ones where you go along really well, and then all of a sudden you crash and you'd be really sick really quickly. So they had to make sure they caught me in time. Um, yeah, so lucky I did, and I got the phone call at uh, it was about two two o'clock in the morning when we were sound asleep, uh, and a bit groggy, woke up and. The transplant coordinator was on the phone and she said, we've got lungs for you, um, you know, get ready, come in, we're, we're ready for you. So that was pretty daunting and exciting at the same time. So uh, uh, how long, um, just out of curiosity, when, um, when, you, when the doctors told you, uh, you only had two years to live. Like, what was going through your mind? Uh, yeah. <laughs> were you scared, nervous, etc.? Um, yeah, shocked. I think initially because it's I didn't believe them. I suppose initially um, because I was still working and my. I mean, I, you know, I'd had a few problems breathing, but I had no, nothing else go wrong. I wasn't on oxygen or anything too serious and it hadn't stopped me doing most of the things I do so yeah I was a bit yeah I think shocked initially and then in denial <laughs> I, I didn't believe them and so the doctor that we had at the time thought that that might be how I would feel and she said to me I've got a story to tell you she said there was about another female patient similar age to myself um, who had been diagnosed with the same thing and she was like me initially she didn't believe it um, so she refused to do all the testing and to go on the transplant list and I think it was only about a year later and she died so they shared that with me pretty quickly because they wanted me to take it seriously and I would say to them, well, look at all the people out in the waiting room who are, you know, some of them were in wheelchairs with oxygen tanks and sounded like they're about to take their last breath. And they said, no, you're sicker than they are. Um, they'll be like that for another couple of years, but you'll go downhill really quickly. And, um, yeah, so you're actually going to be higher up the, the list than they are. So it was a big, big shock. Oh, gee, I don't, I don't think... I don't think I could uh, uh, go through all that uh, uh, because, but I don't know how I would react to all that news because I kind of went, I wouldn't say I went through anything similar like you, but I had doctors who told me I wouldn't be able to walk without crutches and, and braces. And I also had doctors tell me I wouldn't be able to read more at uh, read any higher than a second grade reading level. So, uh, I, like I said, I can compare my stuff to what you went through, but I had doctors who said some uh, some of that stuff and said can't uh, can't do this, can't do that. You won't be able to do this. Just a long list of stuff that I can't do, but. Yeah, I think that's, I think it's uh, what you initially believe because you don't know any better at the time. So, like, I didn't know anything about lung transplants. I didn't know anyone who even had a transplant. Uh, and so I just, 
thought, well, I'll listen to what they have to say. And they, you know, they're very good at what they do. They get some of the best results in the world at this hospital. So I did that. But then I also did my own research, which I'm sure you probably did as well, um, looking into well, what's really going to go on and what do I, what can I expect and and a lot of that. And there, there were, to be honest, there wasn't that much information that, that many years ago. Uh, and we've since um, tried to fix that by providing more information for patients and caregivers. But, uh, yeah, in the end I had to trust that they were telling me the truth and that I did really need one that badly and, yeah, just prepare myself for it. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's a funny thing when you get told something like that because everyone, no doubt, reacts differently, but you kind of... In the end, if you decide, well, I'm going to deal with it, you kind of pull on resources that maybe you thought you didn't really have. And sometimes people can surprise you and, and you can surprise yourself and, and actually be stronger than you think you are. Um, and I'm sure you've been through that experience where you've done things that initially you weren't sure you could do and now you can. And, uh, yeah, I think humans have got a lot more potential than we realise. I totally agree with you there. Um, so uh, uh, tell me a little bit about some of these biohacks that you have. Yeah, well, um, the main thing that I do at the moment is uh, neuroscience resilience. So I'm definitely not a neuroscientist, I don't pretend to be, but I did do a applied science a degree initially as my first university qualification. Then I did a human resources one. So I always had a bit of a passion for how to apply science to things and yeah I got involved when I was after my transplant I, I really struggled a bit especially in the first few years and one of the things which I guess was my light bulb moment was realizing that I could take more control over my health and my mental health and decide to do something about it so one of the ways I did that was to start looking into well why am I getting so depressed about all this and what's going on in my brain and uh, what can I do to fix that and what am I in control of versus you know what I can't control and I came across um, resilience but specifically the neuroscience side of it which is all around the brain science and yeah I was just really fascinated about how much if you know, if you understand how your body works and your brain works, then you've got more chance of changing it. And we actually have a lot of capacity in our brain to change and remap all the, the neural pathways, the memories and things that we have and the way we the view the world. And, yeah, if you understand that, you can do some pretty cool little things. Uh, so it can be as simple as um, learning how to calm yourself quickly if you're in a situation where you need to do that. Uh, and one of the um, tips or the neuro hacks I like to share for that is um, just at the back of your head, so down the bottom here in the base of your pin, you've got what's called the pre-boxing complex. And it actually picks up how quickly your heart's beating. So if you're getting a bit anxious and, you know, your breath's going quicker and you're getting a bit, you know, like that sort of thing, panicky, uh, it's going to pick that up and it's going to tell your body that there's obviously something to be fearful of 
and it goes into what a lot of people know, the flight or fight mode, where it wants to fight or flight. Um, but there's also a third one I add in, which is freeze, which a lot of people do. They just don't do anything <laughs> in, in action. Uh, but, yes, yeah, so one of those three will, will kick in at that point. Now, if you want to control that and tell your body actually you're not under threat, um, you can, you can um, change how this is, you know, recording what's going on in your, in your body by breaking that cycle. So there's a couple of little techniques with breathing that you can do. Um, one of them I call the double sniff, for want of a better word. I've got to come up with a better name. <laughs> uh, but basically what you do, uh, I'll show you and you can all try it at home <laughs> when you're watching. Uh, so you, you do kind of a initial sniff through, in, through your um, body and then you do another one directly after that. So it's a... <laughs> like that so a double sniff is what I call it or an inhale or it's kind of a combination and what that does is it's almost like a bit of a, a check on the body and it it will make the body go oh actually the breathing's different here hang on let me just reset and um, that's sort of the simple terms and you can feel physically um, a, a lot calmer and it's apparently the quickest way of slowing down your breathing and just um, rebalancing things. So you can do that pretty much anywhere. Uh, and I like to have sleuth, I call them sleuth neurohacks because you're actually doing them um, undercover. <laughs> so you could be in a meeting, you could be sitting around the table at dinner with your family and maybe you're getting a bit anxious or stressed about the meeting or whatever's going on. Um, and you can just subtly do the like that and they might go oh, they've just sniffed or you know they they probably won't even notice I'll be too busy talking about something but that would just be enough to yeah to tell your body and this pre-boxing of complex just to calm down so yeah so then just using what you already have in your body uh, to not trick it but yeah make the most of it So how did you get into all of the out of into biohacking? Well, I guess it was just a curiosity thing, and because I found that it was working for me, um, I decided, well, if it's going to help me, it probably will help other people as well. And there's some um, really good information out there. Uh, and what I also decided is um, because I because I suppose I've got that human resources background, I know you've got to be careful about what information you share. So I wanted to learn it properly. So there was a uh, company that I partnered with who have uh, they've created a platform that helps with neuroscience resilience, and it's been created by psychologists and learning specialists. And uh, so I've um, been certified in doing neuroscience resilience now and yeah learned learned how how things work and and what I can and can't share with people because I get a, a range of people who want to do the programs um, they might be just people who are perhaps feeling a bit overwhelmed or under pressure a bit stressed and you know they're looking for some help um, there can also be people who have you know really severe depression or PTSD though things like that and this program's not not the right thing for them you know they probably need to get more help but um, yeah it's it's something that yeah hopefully will help help others um, like it's helped me. So how long have you been doing biohacking for? Oh, um, well, I guess 
if, if you go to the actual term of biohacking, it actually means that you're trying to improve your health and well-being. So in a way, we're all been biohacking probably for a long time. So even the things that you're doing where you go, um, you know, you might go to work on something in your body or you might do meditation or you might um, I don't know, drink healthy shakes or whatever it might be that you're doing. Um, that is, in effect, biohacking and making the most of your body's um, biology. Uh, with the neuroscience stuff, for probably the last 18 months or so in particular, I've really got into it. Um, but, yeah, I've always had a curiosity for the science and the body. It's uh, something my dad probably <laughs> is responsible for that. He was a big science science fan. Well, when I... When I was growing up uh, me, uh, in New Jersey, me and my brother used to watch uh, Bill Nye and the Science Guy every, I forget how long how yeah. uh, long the show was. I don't remember if it was daily or weekly, but we woke yeah. up to it every single morning. Yeah. Uh, his science was pretty cool, uh, but, uh, but I, I believe... Th- I think over the years, I, uh, except from in middle school, I did a lot of fun uh, science experiments. But in high school, totally lame. Yeah, <laughs> uh, everybody yeah. said like, "Oh yeah, you can do awesome science experiments in high school." I got to high school. I think the only thing that we did was was melt fat off of Cheetos. It was a, <laughs> that hallway smelled like for a whole month. It was the um, most disgusting thing. I'll never eat Cheetos ever again. Uh, that's I'm sorry well, that's that probably a way of making you all eat healthy. Oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, you look, you're right. I mean, I during school, I mean, I did chemistry as one of my final year subjects, um, and I did computer science. That was the other one. Um, so. Yeah, but I yeah you're right. It wasn't as exciting back then. I think um, you need a really good teacher to to get you passionate about science. But um, yeah, we we talked a bit about it at home. Um, Dad was an engineer, and he did a um, master of uh, science as well at Berkeley University. Uh, we actually lived in America for eighteen months when I was little, um, so he could do that. Uh, so yeah, I think. Yeah, it was just his interest in it then got me into it. And then over the years as you, you know, read things and talk to other people, you find out that there's so much more that you can do for your body yourself. So um, what's the – what do you think – What, what what do you uh, what do you think the benefits of biohacking uh, uh, for people uh, like what do you think the benefits are to it and uh, what could also be the cons of it as well so pros and cons yeah well um, I guess yeah like everything there's pros and cons uh, so I suppose the pros are that you know you can we're all individual and. I mean, even with the lung transplants, you know, when we go through that, they actually look at us as an individual when they're giving us the, you know, treatment or solutions for things. 
Um, and so I think one of the pros of biohacking is that you know your body you know, pretty well, like you're living it, you, you feel your aches and pains and you know what your, your limits potentially are. And and so in a way, if you're making the most of your own body, like there's certain things that, you know, probably my brother can do that I can't do or my, um, you know, a friend of mine's probably got longer legs and they can jump higher or, you know, those sort of things. So, you, you know, there's, you work within what your body is. So, I think biohacking is going to become more and more um, popular. Um, you know, there's a lot of focus on health and well-being, and um, people are exploring all sorts of different things. Uh, like anything that's health or medical related, there's always going to be you know dodgy people out there offering all sorts of weird and wonderful <laughs> ideas. I I was uh, reading the other day an article by a neuroscientist, and they were just telling um, some of the the ones they'd come across and they were just, you know, oh, gosh, I hope people aren't going to be doing these things, um, funny things that you sort of attach to yourself or, uh, you know, to monitor things that weren't really going to be accurate and uh, getting the wrong information from people who weren't, you know, uh, knowledgeable. Um, and, you know, I pride myself on everything I do. I've, I've seen the research article or it's direct from a neuroscientist or a, or a psychologist 100% science-based because I don't want to lead anyone astray either. So, yeah, so there's that's probably the biggest con is that people can con uh, and and uh, say this is, yeah, what you need to do, the biohack this way, and it's actually not going to work. Well, that's pretty much... Uh... Well, that's isn't that pretty much every like skill out there and uh, every uh, in every uh, career that people always try to solve fakes or try to take yep. misinformation to everyone. Uh, yeah, I could give well, you one. It's like the yeah, I could give you an example real quick. It's like the um, Microsoft scam where uh, these people used to, uh, call call people pretending to be Microsoft, and it's like, yeah, we're from Microsoft. Well, people, you got to think about it logically. Now, I'm, this is going to sound totally rude, but. Do you think Microsoft is going to hire a bunch of employees to call people up and, uh, hey, we, we know that's that your comp uh, computer needs some help. Yeah, the, they were just selling you a new computer. <laughs> Doesn't yeah. make some more money, isn't it? They're not going to call you up uh, unless if the unless you request them to. Uh, if there's a way to request a call back, but the, but if you haven't called them first, they're not calling you back, and they're no. not calling you. <laughs> no, and exactly. they're free time. <laughs> no, and I think that's the key. Is you know that's something that you learn as you get older that the, these things exist and what and you learn to work out what's true and what's not true and to do your own research. And, you know, even though the degree I did in applied science was in a different area, um, it still taught me how to go and research and how to discover the truth. And, um, and that's been a really, really key skill, I think, because everything that comes out, you know, whether it's on the news or, you know, what a politician says or whatever it might be, I always take a step back and go, well, where's the proof? <laughs> um, and then that's, I kind of go from there. So I think, yeah, I think if people do it that way and, 
you know, they see something new and they go, okay, that's interesting. Like not perhaps people have never heard of neuroscience resilience and like, go, okay, that's different. But, you know, I would always say, you know, do your research and, and check it out and, and um, make sure it's right for you because um, yeah, every, there's lots of ideas out there and yeah, some are, some are really good and worth in pursuing, but um, yeah, always check your facts. So how do you, so how does one start with biohacking? Uh, like, I don't know, like what's the most beginner? The first thing. Um, well, I guess it depends what you're doing it for. So perhaps if you're looking at, say, uh, you want more energy, then it's looking at, okay, well, what sort of things will give me more energy in my body? Um, and it might be that um, you look at your sleep uh, and you look at different ways of biohacking your sleep patterns. Um, so, you know, some of the things are probably fairly well known by now, but, you know, there's our circadian rhythm. So working with that and the way that your body naturally wants to sleep and wake um, and making sure. So one of the things um, that people are often surprised to hear about is, um, you know, how often you'll hear, okay, you need seven to eight hours sleep as an adult. But what they don't realise is that's actually the seven to eight quality hours of sleep. And to get that, you probably need to be in bed for nine to ten hours to actually get the seven to eight hours of proper sleep for most people. Because um, even if you're not falling asleep straight away, um, or even if you are, your body isn't getting that quality sleep all the way through the night. Um, and so you know, in a way, if people go, right, I've, I've had my seven hours and they've been in bed from, say, 11 o'clock at night till 6 o'clock in the morning, they're probably still waking up feeling a bit groggy and going, well, got my seven hours, why am I feeling better? Um, but they actually probably need to be in there a bit longer. Um, and then it's also working with your particular body clock. So if you're the sort of person that's going to operate better later in the day, then don't fight that, um, you know, do all your more difficult work or um, challenging work in the afternoon instead of in the morning. Uh, so they're sort of simple biohacks that you can do. Uh, you can use um, all sorts of different um, adaptogen herb products um, to help fix uh, things which are going on in your body. Uh, because I always believe like all the processes are there in your body. You just can uh, make them work as efficiently as they can. So even things like, um, so, you know, we're told um, with our, our brains, for example, um, a lot of people don't know, but we have this thing here called BDNF, which is uh, brain-derived neurotic factor. And it's something that actually helps your brain cells grow, um, helps with memory, learning, all those sorts of things. And it doesn't last very long in your body. So uh, it starts depleting pretty quickly um, throughout the day. Uh, so if you want to help that and replenish it, the three things that you can do is sleep, exercise and nutrition. Uh, and so that's why, you know, you often get told, so people will tell you, oh, it's really good to have a good sleep, it's really good to eat well, and it's really good to exercise, but they may not go into the specifics. And one of the specifics is because we want your BDNF to be replenished. But no, you don't really hear people say that, but that's actually 
what we really need to have happen in our body because without that, um, yeah, you're just you're not as focused and you're not as efficient and your um, the smart part of your brain, the, the prefrontal cortex, uh, isn't operating as efficiently as it can. Um, so, yeah, so you really do need to follow those guidelines but if you understand why it gives you more of a drive to do it so now that I know that I've got this BDNF BDNF in my head my body um, and I know how important it is uh, that's why I'm like okay well what do I need to do about my sleep nutrition and exercise Um, and because that's yes I know how important it is now I know for myself if I don't get my sleep i turn into the incredible hulk just not the green and everything i was like i can tell when my body is is uh really tired like for instance uh and i sometimes i break my own rules uh so i mean it's not that i try to it is i lost track of the time when i was just catching up with a friend the other day and Mm -hmm. so i was just up late like just texting them because uh i just haven't talked to that person in a while and so i've um so uh, uh i was up to like almost 11 p.m at night and and i was like this was stupid of me because that happened to me on uh, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. And I was like, um, um, and on t- Tuesday, my, I, I think I was, I, I look like a dead zombie just walking around and say, ah, I'm tired. And, and I was like, just, I wasn't really grouchy, but I just like kind of keep it to myself. And then my parents asked me, it's like, Jim, what's wrong? And it's like, Nothing, nothing, nothing. Yeah. And I just sleep deprived. And, uh, yeah. And I could, I found myself like kind of falling asleep near the afternoon, just sitting in my chair, in my desk chair. And yeah. I was like, this is, this is really handy. Uh, and I was like, I'm going to bed. And I wish I'd like to read my book before to bed. But like last night, I was just like, nope, not happening. I'm going to bed. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's right. I mean, that's basically you understanding your body and going, it's had enough, I need to stop, I need to get some sleep, and whether that's a nap during the day or, yeah, getting into bed earlier, um, you know, that's helping to make the most of your body. Whereas people who aren't, you know, aren't understanding what's going on in their body will just keep pushing through, and that they're the people that end up having you know, breakdowns or, you know, really high burnout because they don't listen to their bodies and they just keep pushing and pushing. Like watching TV at night before going to bed? What's that, sorry? Like watching TV before going to bed at night? Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, that's what's happening there is, um, again, it's up in your brain um, because your part of your eye actually forms part of your brain and it's seeing all this visual and, um, stimulus and it's actually activating um, again your smart brain what I call the smart brain the, the prefrontal cortex um, and it needs to unwind before you go to bed so if it's all active and you know they've they, they can show on the brain scans the activity that goes on when you're watching you know a device or television uh, and you need to just you know, switch off from that and have a break before you go to sleep um, because your brain needs to come down from that. Um, So, yeah, so once you, yes, whenever anyone says, 
and there's a lot of common things, you know, you need to do this or don't do this, whatever. Generally, somewhere in the background, there's some science behind it. And I think once people can understand the science, they're usually more open to actually following the, the guidelines because they go, oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, now I know why they're telling me to do that. Uh, like, uh, I'll give you another quick example there. Uh, there was one night where I didn't do this on purpose. It is like I, some of my, my favorite uh, sports teams play at night. And so like I just finished karate and I kind of got mixed up watching a game. And uh, because it, it, I don't tend to watch TV during the week, but I might just take a few minute glance at like, how my sports team is doing. And then it's like, uh, there's losing. I'm. I'm just gonna go to bed. Uh, yeah, it is too brutal. Watch and um, yeah. and so and the next day when I woke up, I could tell I did not really get a good night's sleep at all because it is that blue light. And it's like, and I always try to tell people, um, my parents is like, it's not that you can't watch TV at night. Just watch mm -hmm. it up until like eight or nine o'clock. And if you're gonna bed, shut it off. And then, and then when, when you're in bed, don't have the TV on. Or mm -hmm. if you're gonna watch TV, uh, like watch until eight o'clock or eight thirty, and then make sure you turn it off at eight thirty. And if you yeah. want to go to bed by nine thirty or ten o'clock, don't have the TV on and don't look at your smartphone, because mm -hmm. even though yeah. that there's a blue light filter on your phone, it doesn't always help. <laughs> Yeah, no, and that's right because even the light's only one part of it. It's the stimulus of reading something because you could read something and then that gets your brain going about that topic and starts making you think about other things and then your brain's active again and you've got to go back to square one and, you know, down-regulate it all again and make it all a bit sleepy and ready for bed. So, yeah, it's, I mean, there are some, there's some people. Read a book. <laughs> They fall asleep at the drop of a hat. My husband's like that. As soon as his head hits the pillow, he's pretty much out cold. <laughs> Wish I was like that. Um, but uh, yeah, myself and the dog take a bit longer <laughs> to get to sleep. <laughs> for me, I usually, uh, for what I do before I go to bed, I usually read a book, whether it's on my Kindle or just a book, book, a physical book. Uh, but I try to stay away from like uh reading uh i use microsoft uh, news because um and no that's not a promotion uh uh but i used their uh, news feed app because it was the closest thing i could find to flipboard and again that's not a promotion either uh, <laughs> uh, uh but uh i just like to follow stuff by interest because then I, then it gives me a lot of other sources that are posting about this interest and not just one source. And then mm. I, I, I like, I, my parents always tell me, read every side from every story. And I'm not talking about politics. I'm just saying yeah. just in general, yeah. I, I, yeah. I'm not even touching on politics. So don't even yeah. worry. Yeah, no, I try to avoid it too. It's, that, one that, of those that's another ballpark of crazy. Yeah. <laughs> that's not, my, yeah. that's not the, that's not even the good ballpark of crazy, of the good crazy. That's just, no, I'm not, I'm not touching that on this podcast. Yeah. Don't worry. I think that's very wise. There's enough people talking about it. Um, and there's plenty of other topics out there in the world to focus on instead, like what you're doing. So, yeah, no, I agree. <laughs> 
But, uh, yeah, no, it's good to do look at all different sources and angles of things because, um, you know, like even like take neuroscience, you know, it um, there was some work done, you know, many decades ago in that area, but it's really been probably the last 20 years or so where it's really taken a bit more of a forefront. Um, and the neuroscientists are first to admit that they don't know, don't know everything about the brain. They, in fact, they're, they've hardly scratched the surface um, of what, you know, the knowledge is. And some of them will even say it's one of the most complex things in the entire universe. Um, so, you know, they, they know that, it, I was saying to somebody the other day, it's like, the little you start to learn, the more you realise how much you don't know. <laughs> um, and and so I've been reading things where in one research report they've said, you know, well, 25 years ago it was thought that this was the case and now we know it's not. So they're still understanding the body as well. Um, so take, for example, the way our brains learn um, and so, um, yeah, and, and remap the neural pathways. It used to be thought that once you became a teenager, that was it, and you couldn't really learn and absorb new things. So you had to pretty much learn everything by then, and after that everything was a bit sort of set in stone. Uh, and they've since learnt that that's definitely not the case, and we have what's called neuroplasticity, which means that our brains are actually very uh, tangible and plastic and um, flexible, and you can be remapping, you know, what's going on in there, you know, for the rest of your life. So, you know, there's nothing to say you can't pick up learning the violin age 70 or 80 or something. It just means it will be probably more difficult than when you were younger. Um, but, yeah, you can still do that. You can still, you know, learn a new language or... Um, I was like my mom skill. who always says that she's too old to work out. And I was like, you're never too old to work out. My grandma, oh. this... Uh, uh, this uh during the pandemic she's uh uh she's she's uh started working out multiple times a day i mean like it's not uh like vigorous like exercise like what i do but she's still working out and she has lost quite a bit of weight and Mm -hmm. i don't know exact number but uh that's not my story to tell but uh, (laughs) she probably won't want you telling everyone how much she she weighs if she's a typical female (laughs) but yeah she but like i'm i'm um proud of her for losing the weight because you know it's i'm not I'm not saying anything by like, oh, she needed to lose weight, but she just wanted to keep working, keep uh, working out and keep back exercising because uh, like, what are we doing during the pandemic? Uh, Sitting around watching TV. Well, I know I'm not, but I mean, there might be people watching TV uh, or not, and people have like these girls are reading a, a lot of books. Last year, I read like 21 books. Uh-huh. That's the most I have ever read before in one year. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, that you're right. It's yeah, the, it was interesting. I mean, you you guys have still got lots going on in your countries with the pandemic, where we're we're pretty good over here in Australia at the moment. We have the occasional breakout. So we've had one worker in a hotel be diagnosed with COVID um, overnight. And so they've put a lockdown on the city 
Um, very quickly, we now have to you know wear masks again when we're out and about in the streets. But um, yeah, we we got through the first couple of waves pretty well. But we in Melbourne, where I am, we had pretty much a six month lockdown where everyone was working from home. Um, the city pretty much shut, and it was one of the longest lockdowns that happened globally. Uh, everyone was complaining about it at the end. <laughs> we're all over it. But we've now become one of the safest countries as a result of doing things like that. Um, but everyone's put on a lot of weight because six months is a long time to be, you know, stuck at home and not getting out and about. And Australians do like their outdoor activities and sport and um, not being able to do all of that. I was chatting to one of the lung function specialists yesterday when I went into the hospital for my annual tests and he was saying that all the patients that are coming in have all put on weight <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's infecting our uh, lung function. So I'm on about 64% lung capacity usually, um, so not quite fully, so I get a bit breathless sometimes. Um, and it had dropped um, during COVID and it got worse because, um, yeah, I put on some weight and uh, hadn't been exercising in the gym. So they've said, okay, get back into doing your gym work and we'll test you again in another month and see if that's improved um, because they want to make sure that that's all that's going on. But, uh, yeah, so it has had a big impact. So before we wrap up, uh, I got two more questions for you. Uh, one, uh, where do you get all your research from? Um, just out of curiosity. Uh, I'm yeah, just interested um, because I'm always like, trying to expand research. Yeah, sure. Well, uh, a couple of places. Um, probably um, the first main part is uh, the um, neuroscience that, um, resilience certification that I've done. That there was a lot of information that I learned as part of doing that that training. Uh, so that's sort of been a big part of it. Um, there's also a couple of um, neuroscience uh, journals, medical journals and things like that, that I subscribe to. So I get um, regular, you know, new articles coming through from that. Uh, you can also jump on to PubMed, which is the uh, large global database of research articles and type in neuroscience into that uh, and you'll come up with thousands and thousands of articles about the topic uh, and yes I mean some of them are you know really detailed uh, not not so much layman terms but um, once you sort of get into a topic you kind of pick up you know what what they're talking about uh, and then yeah, there's, there's lots of psychological um, journals and magazines which talk about the brain. So, yeah, there's there's lots of information out there and I just go through it all and work out, you know, whether is it a quality source, like is it coming from a proper university or somebody who's actually qualified and, and they're the ones that I, uh, yeah, focus on. And I don't forget... Uh... And I lied. There's one, uh, two more questions as this. Uh, uh, so, uh, do you? Uh, how do you teach people some of these uh, biohacks? Do you have a website? Do you have a podcast? Uh, Facebook? I um, don't know. Yeah, no, a couple of things. Well, if you jump on my website, which is readyresilience.com. Um, it sort of goes into a bit more detail there. But uh, one of the main ways I teach is I have a um, resilience platform slash app that um, people get as part of the program. Uh, and 
resilience is one of those things where you need to build it up in little amounts over time. So, you know, going to like a two-hour, three-hour workshop, you're not going to come out of that all fixed and all, you know, a lot more resilient. And it's something you need to build up over time. I use does what's called micro learning uh, because the brain actually prefers to learn in really little increments. Um, so it's designed to send a notification through every day with a new learning, something to read, to watch, to you know, listen to. Um, and then over time, that builds up the resilience. And the program actually has initially a psychometric um, assessment where it actually will ask you some questions. It's all being designed by psychologists and learning specialists. And that will just, um, you'll discover from that where your areas in resilience are that you need to focus on the most. And then the program will actually focus on those for you first. Um, so it teaches you that way. And then what I do to accompany that is I do what I call, um, well, I'm tossing up between the words, you might even be able to tell me which one you like the sound of better, but um, uh, you know how you have webinars? Well, I was um, going to call them workinars or hackinars <laughs> because that's effectively what I'm doing. I think hackinars I'm leaning towards. Um, they're, they're something that I've been doing um, to just share some of the tips, a bit like I've done today, but in a bit more detail. Um, so, yeah, working with individuals or companies, you know, who might want to make their uh, staff more resilient. So... Uh... Do you uh, write any of these? Do you write any articles on your website or? Not at the moment, but it's interesting you say that because um, I was actually thinking of writing a book um, this year. My husband's written a book and we've actually put together a, a program on how he did that. It was, um, it was done for people who were dyslexic or weren't very good at writing. Um, so we sort of created a course off the back of that. And I was like, well, that's, a, you know, I've done the course and we've done his books and things and I probably should do one myself. <laughs> so I think that's where I'm going to go. And I'll probably add some more articles to my website too this year uh, about some of the topics that I get asked the most. And uh, would you be interested uh, to writing an article from my website about biohacking? Yeah, I'd be more than happy to do that. Yes, I'm always looking for, I always like experts on their. uh, Yeah, to share a bit more about what it is and how it works. Yeah. Yeah, I'm happy to do that. We can have a chat about that for sure. Definitely, because uh, I'm always looking for experts and uh, I'd say I'm an expert. Yeah, no, my autism body, but I would never say I'm an, uh, uh, an expert in everything else because I'm not. I wish I was. <laughs> oh, there's so much, so much knowledge out there, isn't there? You can only really scrape the surface of it. So you're best to find people who've already done that. I mean, I say with books, if you think about it, that person has already learnt their 10,000 hours in that specialty and you've got the privilege of absorbing a lot of what they've learned over many many years in one book so you know that's a pretty powerful thing to have access to and uh and one final question before i let you go where can people f- uh, find you on social media website and i'll put them all in the show notes just uh yeah sure um well yeah so the main i guess the, the website that's readyresilience.com um, and I do work with people all over the place. So um, 
know, not just in Australia because everything's online, what I do. So it can be um, rolled out, you know, wherever people live. And uh, I'm also on Facebook, um, Instagram, uh, also LinkedIn uh, because I work with corporates. The LinkedIn one's uh, quite a good one. Uh, and uh, about to set up a YouTube channel. <laughs> so I'll include some of the um, the different webcasts um, I've done, podcasts, and yeah, I've been on the radio a couple of times as well. So I've got... I'm jealous. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, it's, it's a, you know, I quite enjoy doing this side of it because uh, it's a good way for me to share my passion, meet people like yourself, uh, and get out to an audience that perhaps would never come across me otherwise. So, yeah, and, uh, yeah, it's good to be on your show. And uh, thanks for coming on Crazy Fitness Guys Healthy Living Podcast. Oh, and uh, for all the subscribers today, uh, I'm making some, uh, there's going to be some changes come to the new, uh, to the uh, premium podcast for Crazy Fitness Guys Healthy Healthy Living Podcast. And so make sure you check out because, uh, I think it's going to, I think the prices are going to be fair in my opinion, but I'm biased. So, uh, <laughs> well, I have to be, well, yeah, no, you know. exactly. <laughs> but, uh, make sure you yeah. check out the, uh, premium podcast page because, um, this new changes are coming soon. Uh, well, I mean, really, really, really soon. So make sure you check back. And thanks again, Wendy, for coming on Crazy Fitness Guys Health of Living podcast. Hopefully you can come yeah. back on again. Yeah, no, I'd be happy to. Um, there's lots to talk about, whether it's resilience or lung transplants or just, you know, um, living life when you know you've got a short life expectancy. There's heaps of topics we could cover. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, All right. Thanks uh, for having me on, Jimmy. My pleasure.